Uh, we're now going to have our file reading. It's going on the inside. Of the As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him with him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins he was playing in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending a promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and will continually in the temple blessing God. And if you've been a student with us for the last three years, <laughs> you will know that it's taken us three years to get through Luke's gospel, this biography of Jesus. <laughs> and so we've come to the end. And I've sought to finish Luke's Gospel, but it has finished me. It's been a wonderful time working through this particular biography. And today we come to, well, what some would describe as the climax of Luke. If you have a praying kind, please pray with me before we look at this together. We thank you, Father, that we can meet in your name this afternoon to look at your word. And at the end of this biography of Luke, regarding Jesus, and we pray that you will help us to understand the implications of his resurrection from the dead. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we live in the year 2017 AD, but I put to you that it doesn't matter how many years we've been around, so to speak. Because what matters is not the number 2017, but the letters AD. Now very quickly, turn to the person next to you and share with them what you think AD stands for. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough. You should know. The other two don't know, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> so 
someone shout out to me? What does A D stand for? Christ still lives today. He has risen from the dead. And as we learn in this final chapter of Luke's biography, it actually is a bodily resurrection. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. And he's at pains to show this, isn't he? Have a look at, uh, if you look in your um, outlines there, in chapter 24, verse 36, the beginning of our account, it says, and they were talking about these things, sorry, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled, right? These are the disciples. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. That is, Jesus is really at pains to show that he's got flesh and blood. He's a real body. He rose bodily from the dead. Why is he at pains to show this? Because remember, the disciples had seen Jesus crucified three days earlier, nailed to a cross like a criminal. They had seen Jesus actually uh, as he was nailed, the sun stopped shining. So they didn't quite see Jesus. They wouldn't actually stop shining. And Joseph, they saw, taking his body down and burying him in a tomb. And now they're seeing Jesus alive. Literally, in the flesh, showing his hands, showing them his feet, getting them to touch him. And how did the disciples respond? Look at the first bit of verse 41, small number 41. Have a look at there. And while they still disbelieved for joy. Isn't that interesting? They disbelieved for joy. What does that mean? I don't 
believe you, Jesus, but I'm happy. You disbelieve for joy. Have you ever disbelieved for joy? Can you think of a time when you disbelieve for joy? I can. It's when I scored my goal in soccer, like it was the first thing that came to me. Total disbelief. My foot just happened to be in the right position. It just kind of ricocheted on my foot and went from there. I went, whoa! <laughs> oh, so this is enjoyable, but it's just a miracle of the highest order. <laughs> believe it, but there was the joy, nevertheless. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. Disbelief for joy. But for the disciples, we're talking about the climax of history, of eternity. You could argue. They disbelieved for joy. So what did Jesus do? Look at verse 41. Look at verse 41. What did he do again? And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. He ate fish. Why did he eat fish? Because of its nutritional value. Fish oil is good for your body. It's good for bodies. Uh, is it to start a tradition of eating fish on Fridays? Um, not that it was Friday here. Uh, why is it that he's eating fish? Well, I take it's because he's at pains to show that he rose bodily from the dead. The fish didn't go through him like it did through like the those ghosts in Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, where that just goes through the body and out again. The fish didn't just kind of hang around like in Ghostbusters and go through that. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. Jesus is at pain to show that he rose bodily from the dead by getting to touch his hands and his feet and by eating fish. Eating fish. Next time you eat fish, think about Jesus, won't you? To show that he was there, flesh and blood. But think about it in your tables for a moment. Why? Why is Jesus at pains to show that he is really human? Go for it. Go a minute.
Okay, let's hear some thoughts. Man with a tie. <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. Um, was it anything to do with the Jesus saying to the Pharisees, if you tear this temple down, I'll have it rebuilt in three days? And if, well, if he's not a physical, corporeal uh, being as he is here, then he's hardly fulfilling what he said to the Pharisees. Yeah, correct. But he could have, he could have raised, raised up as a, a spirit of some kind as well. Why human and Why does he have to be someone in the flesh? Any other thoughts? I think he's related to Yeah. Along the lines, rather like the 41, 41, it's all about fulfilling what he's written. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we'll come, we'll come to that. Any other thoughts? Yeah. To show that he could raise us from the dead. To show that he could raise us from the dead as well. Yeah. We'll talk about in Revelation or in Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones, the yeah. physical resurrection. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when you look at Jesus, you see our future. You see Jesus, you see humanity 2.0 as it were. You see humanity with all the sin taken out of the system, so to speak. That's our future. Jesus our future. You see him, you see what we will be like on the last day. That's how he ascended into heaven, isn't it? If you look at verse 50 of uh, your outlines there, small number 50, we read these words, Then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Right? Jesus entered heaven as one who is fully human. Has that occurred to you? That when you peel the heavens open, if you can see heaven itself, you will see Jesus at the right hand of his Father, one who is fully human and fully God. Fully human. This is the one in whom God was pleased to dwell. Yet he is there fully human at one and the same time. You see, this is why the letters A.D. matter. Anno Domini. He, Jesus continues now as Lord. It is in the year of our Lord, 2017, yes, but it's more important that we understand that Jesus is still alive in heaven as one who is fully human and fully God. But again, you might ask, well, so what? So what if Jesus rose bodily from the dead? So what if he's at the right hand of his Father? What does it mean for us? Well, firstly, Luke tells us there, as John pointed out, that Jesus' bodily resurrection is the fulfillment of Scripture. As in the earlier part of Luke 24, we read of two men who were walking along a road to a village called Emmaus. And in that story, if you've read it before, you'll see that these two men are walking along, they're disciples of some kind, not part of the twelve, but other disciples. And so it happens that they're talking about the events of what's taken place, not knowing that Jesus had risen from the dead. What they knew was that there was a crucifixion involving Jesus, of course, and that their hopes were dashed at this point in time, yet somehow they, they had heard that women had gone to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And so they're talking about these things, 
And Jesus saddles up alongside them as they're walking along this road. But their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And he said, what are you talking about? And they mentioned all these things. And then, and then Jesus says these words. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scriptures concern Jesus. And when the word scriptures is used there, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament had not been written at the time. He's referring to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible, is all about Jesus, he says. It's all about Jesus. In other words, Jesus and his two men, they should have seen it all along in the Scriptures. The events surrounding Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were all predicted in the Old Testament Scriptures. Moses refers to the first five books of the Bible. The prophet is a catchphrase for the rest of the Bible. All of the Bible points to Jesus. All of it. We'll just go to the back slide next. Have a look at verse 44 in your outlines now because he repeats this idea in verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets and the Psalms, they make up the rest of the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. See, the Old Testament is a one-way street to Jesus, in other words. And his bodily resurrection is a fulfillment of that. There's a man that many of us know the name of. His name is John Piper. And he writes these words. It's a great wonder that God still speaks today through the Bible with greater force and greater glory and greater assurance and greater sweetness and greater hope and greater guidance and greater transforming power and greater Christ-exalting truth than can be heard through any voice in any human soul on the planet from outside the Bible. It's all about Jesus, Christ-exalting truth that is on you. And all of the Bible will ultimately focus on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that's the lens through which we read the Bible. So I'll put to you, if you do not hear a sermon with Jesus mentioned, then you haven't heard the Scriptures. No matter which part of the Bible you're referring to, including the Old Testament. So if the Old Testament is spoken of and Jesus isn't mentioned, you haven't heard the Scriptures. That's what Jesus is saying. So you go to a part of the Old Testament like the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is about all these people who rescue Israel out of oppressed states. And one of the judges is a man named Ehud, and he's a left-handed man. Hang up, you know the story? So he's a left-handed man, 
and he comes along and he defeats his enemy, a guy named King Eglon. And King Eglon is described literally in the Old Testament as being very fat. And Eglon comes along and he sticks the dagger into Eglon's fat and then the knife kind of disappears into the fat and then dung comes out. It actually says that. And what do you make of that? You think, ah, oh, Jesus says everything's about him, so therefore the sword is Jesus, the fat is Satan, and the dung is the people, and that's what we're going to be like if we don't face up to Jesus. Is that, is that how we interpret No, 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 no. It's not saying every verse of Scripture somehow refers to Jesus. But he is saying that when you read the context wide enough, eventually, Eventually, they'll be like tributaries that join the main body of water that will find itself in the reservoir that is known as Jesus. Eventually. You've got to read it sensibly. And so if you come back to that story regarding Ehud, the left-handed man, you think, well, why does he describe all these other things? He's left-handed, he is fat, and it's a laughable situation. Why does he say left-handed? Because that was unexpected, you see. In those days, whenever you fronted up to a king, you would actually open up your cloak. And usually your right-handed man, you have your sword in your left thigh, and so you would open up your cloak and reveal that there's a sword there. There's not a sword there. So presumably he revealed his right side and there's, there's no sword there. Comes in, he says, I've got a secret word for you, and he takes the sword out of his head, tells us that it was strapped to his right thigh, and he kills the king that way. It's just so unpredictable, isn't it? And if you read all the stories of the judges, they're just so unpredictable. And what do you learn about God through that? And God is in control and will have a victory over his enemies. But that he uses unpredictable ways. And you couldn't get more unpredictable than dying on a cross, could you? You can't get more unpredictable than seeing a man named Jesus he doesn't have victory by way of military might or power. But does unpredictably on cross to die the death that you die It's so unpredictable, so unexpected, you see? They're tributaries that lead to Jesus himself. Jesus' body resurrection is the fulfillment of scripture. And every part of Scripture eventually will find itself in the right context, including all of the Old Testament, including the book of Ruth, which, well, speaks of God. But, no, sorry, it's Ruth. Esther is the one that doesn't have God at all referred to it. That book is all about Jesus. The book of Esther. How? It doesn't mention Jesus. It doesn't mention God. But it is, if you think about it, because Jesus is in Israel. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the fulfillment of Scripture. Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, is all about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus' bodily resurrection compels us to world mission. It compels us to world mission. Look at verse 45 now. It's all number 45. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Firstly, note, God's plan of salvation required the sacrificial death of Jesus and his bodily resurrection. Because if neither of these events happened, we would still be in our sins. Jesus died the death that we deserve. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And therefore, he dies for our sins in our place. But if he stayed dead, we'd still be in our sins. If he stayed dead, we'd still not be forgiven. Jesus has to rise from the dead bodily so that our sins can be effectively forgiven. We must have the death and resurrection of Jesus. The risen Jesus has the power to save us through his death and resurrection. And furthermore, if Jesus didn't ascend into heaven, why we wouldn't have his Holy Spirit? That's what he's referring to in terms of this power from on high there in verses 48-49. The risen Jesus has the power to send the Spirit as promised by his Father. And now that he has sent his Spirit, we can now proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. But it had to begin in Jerusalem. It had to begin where his disciples were. It had to begin where the Holy Spirit was poured out on his disciples in Jerusalem. And that's what the book of Acts begins with in chapter 2. In fact, chapter 1 and 2, if you read it closely. The disciples are not to attempt the task of proclaiming Jesus by their own meager efforts. They needed power. Power from on high. They needed to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high. So please note that when you and I, if you and I have enormous privilege of telling people about Jesus, it's a spirit thing. It's not a me and my incredible efforts and the the, the linguistic skills that I have or the power of rhetoric or being able to speak really loudly or really softly and command your attention. It's the spirit at work as we plainly speak the gospel not the creativity of what we do. It's not the power of my personality. It's God using me, whoever I am, whatever I am, in changing the hearts of people through his Holy Spirit. So don't ever feel like you're second rate if you don't have seen gifts to do these things. If you trust in the power of God by his gospel, and you work hard at trying to explain things as clearly as you can. It is the work of the Spirit, even through you, that is changing the hearts of people. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is what enables the proclamation of Jesus. And proclaim Jesus, we must. To all the nations, we're told. To all the nations. And the Holy Spirit is what makes this worldwide proclamation possible. Please note, if you know Jesus as your Lord today, it's because the Holy Spirit enabled you to do that. 
And we're some 14,000 kilometers away from Jerusalem where it first happened, yeah? But it happened here for most of it, but who knows? For some of you, it might be in other countries. But if you were, if you heard the gospel, this message of Jesus for the first time in Australia, it's a long way away from where it happened and a long, long time since it first happened in terms of the pouring out the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, it's still a spirit thing. It's incredible, isn't it? It's a supernatural activity. It seems so ordinary to open up the scriptures and talk to people about Jesus. But in this ordinary activity is the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit at work. And we can take this to the nations. Indeed, we're commanded to take this to the nations. If you were at Midget Conference this year, you would have heard me speak about the Joshua Project, which analyzes various people groups. If you weren't there, let me show you what I shared. By people groups, we are referring to ethno-linguistic groups, people who share a common affinity with one another. And there are 16,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world in 7 billion people that make up our population. Of those, there are 42% who are unreached. In other words, there are less than 5% of the population who have actually heard of Jesus. Nominal people are those who are slightly more than 5%, and then you have established Christians who are 40% who make up the rest, right? So 42% unreached among the people. In the next slide, what we see is where they're scattered throughout the world. The unreached people groups are in red, Nominal, as you'll see in yellow, green is where we've got established Christians, so to speak, or people groups. What is incredible is in the next slide that the majority, 85% of all the unrich people are in this 1040 window, 10 degrees latitude north and 40 degrees latitude north. Within that range, we've got 85%, 85% of the unrich people groups are in that window itself. That rectangular area, as you can see, involves North Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and this 1040 window is called the resistant belt and includes the majority of the world's Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. An estimated 4.65 billion individuals reside in approximately 8,747 distinct people groups in this 1040 window. Isn't that incredible? And here's the thing. Most of our missionaries are being sent outside this window. That's why it's just such a privilege to be partnering with people like Seth and Kate, who many of us met at Mid-Year Conference. But if you weren't there, they're going to meet us again soon in the next few weeks, sometime in the next few weeks. They're going to somewhere in this window. We're not allowed to tell you exactly where, because if we did, we'd have to kill you, apparently. Like that, for security reasons. Otherwise, they would be killed. But that's where they're going. In the next slide, you will see what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So will you consider loving the world like God? Will you consider going to the nations? Because you see, 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus actually is the means to which we understand this imperative. It's because he rose from the dead that worldwide proclamation of Jesus, that is spirit-empowered, is enabled. Thus is the truth. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. There's a couple of ways to find out more about how you could possibly, possibly be involved in something like this. Firstly, do speak with Seth and Kate when they are with us in a few weeks' time. Get to know them a little bit more. Ask them, how did they do what they do? Why have they arrived at where they have? How is it that they're going to go there? Seth is one of our most able graduates who's come through the University of Colorado. I mean, Katie has just been one of the most creative people. They are young, they are energetic, they are incredibly able, and they're giving up so much to go to a place that knows so little about Jesus. The other way to find out more is to come along to our national training event. Not only will you meet someone with a different accent from Ireland, but you will also meet lots of missionaries who will be there. Missionaries from other parts of the world who will be there. People, in fact, we have about 27 or so other movements from around the world who will join us who are involved in student groups like us. And they have incredible things to share with us and ask to learn from them. Students just like you who are doing these things already. So come along and join us. Pick the camping option because it's a great missionary option as well. So you register and we'll be together and do that. But why should we go in the end? Because we live Anno Domini. In the year of our Lord. <coughs> Jesus has risen bodily from the dead and ascended into heaven to rule and repentance for the forgiveness of sins is available for all. But have you taken up that opportunity for yourself? For starters. Because if you're not sure that you're forgiven, please talk to us about that. <coughs> but if you're sure that you are, why not think about how we can offer it to the nations? In the name of our risen Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? We thank you, dear Father, that you are indeed Lord of heaven and earth, and that Jesus has risen bodily to sit at your right hand. And we thank you for you pouring out your Spirit upon us now that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we pray that in the strength of your spirit that we might proclaim him to others all over this world, wherever you take us. And may it be that many others come to know you as we do. And for those of us who still do not know whether we ourselves are forgiven, please, Father, by your spirit, so stir our hearts to come to know you and be forgiven ourselves. Father, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.
I'm going to keep praying for us too, so we pray heads. Uh, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for NTE for the opportunity we have to gather together and learn from each other and from um, other people yeah, all over the world and um, striving for this uh, worldly mission that um, you've called us to do. And we thank you um, for the opportunity to go on a mission and tell others about Jesus after NTE. And we pray for those that we'll talk to that they will be willing to listen and their hearts will be open. We also pray that we will be faithful in telling people about you, particularly um, at that NTE mission, but in every other thing in life as well. We thank you for focus and the opportunity to tell international students about your son. We pray particularly for those who are interested in you, that they will find out more while they're here in Australia. And we thank you for the evangelicals on campus at the Australian Catholic University. We pray that they will be able to connect with nominal Catholics and tell them the good news about your son at our upcoming evangelical event. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just want to yeah, thank and praise you for your son and I pray that you will help us in everything that we do with this worldly mission um, and that we will be able to tell others about you um, in our all the different facets.